and welcome to the Soul Life Podcast. My name is Srili Fruchter, and in this episode, we are exploring the question, who is God? This episode, we are completing the map of ourselves and life as a whole. So far in the podcast, after understanding that we are all souls, which is our consciousness that we said is an expression of God, which is the awareness that experiences our entirety of our life, and you can go back to episode two if you want to refresh or go over that for the first time, We saw afterward that the ego is all that prevents us from experiencing this truth, all that tells us to do things that are not in our basic self-interest, that are not trying to help us actualize our best life. And those were basically steps one and steps two for the soul life, for having the great foundation and context. Now, we have to address the last piece, if you will, of the puzzle. Who is God? We've said the soul is a part of God, that you as a soul are consciousness, that you are awareness. You are the one who sees, thinks, feels, hears, and experiences all of life. And that awareness, that consciousness, which is your true essence, is a part of God. So now, naturally, we need to address the question of who is God. And this is really, really important. And it's a big and scary question, but one that we need to actually address. Because if a soul is a part of God, then if I want to actually understand that in a, in a coherent way, not just understanding the soul aspect, the consciousness aspect, but to also understand the significance of being a part of God, well, then I need to understand my relationship to God and to have this definite need of living a soul life because it's very, very important. But on that same note, we saw in the first episode of Finding Global Spirituality that what you believe about yourself, about life, about your expectations, is what you perceive in your life and what you will receive in your life. And we need to think about how do we think about the world? What are the underlying ideas that are creating our reality? What you think, very literally, what you think, your perception, all of the assumptions and ideas that are rooted in your identity are what is creating your reality. Everything we see is a reflection or a mirror of our own inner life. So therefore, naturally, the extension of that is that your view or lack thereof of God fundamentally alters your reality. But we're going to get into that. And as a quick roadmap of what we're going to be exploring in this episode, we're first going to be breaking down the idea of who is God, understanding that in a more conceptual way, and trying to have an idea that we can relate when we think about the word or the three letters G-O-D. Then we'll try and connect this to something real and something personal that actually will allow us to feel God in our lives and not in an abstract way that sounds fluffy, puffy, and mystical and abstract and esoteric, which we don't like, uh, but something that is very real and tangible that we can relate to experiences we've already felt in our lives. And lastly, we're going to, as usual, tie this in with international relations and take some of the ideas we explored and see how that is actually underlying a lot of our discussions in international relations and something that we can see in the real world. So to begin, we need to break misconceptions because the word God, those three letters, is jam-packed with a lot of painful and problematic notions for most people, and I think that for myself for a very long time, notions of control, anger, wrath, enslavement, punishment, judgment, and death. And naturally, when one thinks that way, it makes sense that a being with those associations can be the source of so much hardship. But that's not God, at least not according to the Torah. And so some of these assumptions are starting with the question, who is God not? 
Let's chip away at the more childish, for lack of a better term, ideas that people think of when they have God. And a short list that I compiled of common misconceptions I think people think without actually realizing that they think this is that when people think of God, they usually think, and this is our list of who God is not, because that's naturally the best way to speak about God, to cross out the negatives. God is not a guy in the sky. He is not a force billions of miles away. He is not a spirit in another dimension. He is not a man. He is not an old man with a beard. He is not a tyrant. He is not a thing or a being with control issues or temper tantrums or any of these other ideas that we naturally would think sound a little crazy and sound a little silly. And that was a lot. That was a big list. Uh, and I'm sure there's a lot of more things we can tack on there, but that's why I don't love the word God. And I, if you paid attention earlier in the podcast, I'm not sure which episode I mentioned that I don't love the word God, but I can tolerate it because those three letters, God, has become a polluted word. And words are supposed to communicate truth to us. They're supposed to be signals that point us in the direction of things we've identified in the world or concepts or ideas or anything else. But God has become so polluted through different assumptions from childhood TV, from cartoons, from all these different things. And a lot of that is painted with the brush of those different ideas I mentioned before. That's why I prefer the term, the name Hashem, which literally means the name, because I think it's a much more personal, it's a different identifier, and it's what Judaism often uses. And that's how I grew up relating to God. And just, just on this note of breaking through these barriers and these misconceptions, Riff Cook, who we've mentioned before, actually praised a lot of atheists for their questions and for their challenges and belief because they help us eliminate the more ridiculous understandings of God, the ones that are actually in a way heretical. When someone thinks that God is a guy in the sky with a big crown and lots of, I don't know, fluffy angels sitting by his feet trying to control us and all these other things that sound like they're straight out of a cartoon, those are actually very, very heretical. And it's a larger conversation about why those are often the ways that we portray God. Even the idea that we say God is a he, God does not have a gender, that is not, God is not a man. Uh, but not really the confrontation for now. It's more important to just understand for our sake that that is not God. That is not what we're talking about. Another really important thing to know is that we are not going to, when we say we're trying to know God or speak about God, it's important to know that if we knew God, then we would be God because that is fundamentally impossible. We exist within a reality, within a world where we have limitations. We have limitations of space and time aside for a lot of physical limitations. For instance, I guess with space and time, I can only speak, anyone can only speak in a language that acknowledges there was something before, there is something after or in the future, and there is a present. The language is by definition rooted in that notion, past, present, and future. There's no way for us to even think about anything beyond time. And so too with space. We can't imagine anything that is spaceless because even the empty space that we think we see in the world, that is still within the confines of talking about space. That is space. Something either takes up space or there's empty space. The idea that there isn't space or there isn't time is so beyond us, we cannot understand that. And there are many other limitations as well. But in, a, in an analogy, for us trying to think that we can understand God in his deepest essence, it's like the character of a book thinking they can know anything outside of the actual book, thinking that they can know the author in his deepest or their or her deepest essence, which is just ridiculous because the character of a book is bound by the pages, bound by the chapters. They can only think about or exist within that binding. And that so too is the same for us. 
So when we're speaking about God or Hashem, you know, same God, uh, we're speaking with a disclaimer that this is all our subjective understanding. And while it may sound like we're speaking objectively, 100% truth, this is the essence, 1000%, and we have it clear cut, clear cut, and I don't know, fill in another word that goes well with that phrase. That is not actually the case. Because everything we think about, everything we relate to in terms of the objective truth of the world is inherently limited given our limitations. So therefore, we cannot capture the objectivity, the true 1,000 bajillion percent factuality of anything goes without saying the same with God. But that being said, we are going to explore who is God using the ideas that will help us understand our relationship with God, which is really the most accurate way anyone can come to know God. With that being said, there are two ways to know God. There are, I think, the conceptual definitions, which is what we're going to begin with right now, but there are also the experiential definitions. Conceptual definitions are great because they help us intellectually think about and philosophize, but in reality, you can understand something as a concept without really feeling it in your life, and that is where the experiential definition comes in, where I can say... I know what chocolate is because I've experienced chocolate before. I know what it's like to go swimming because I've gone swimming before. You can tell me and show me all these videos and lessons and ideas about what swimming is, about different swim strokes, but if I've never gone in the pool, I'm missing something so crucial to that. But I think that you really need both. You need a conceptual definition and an experiential definition. So first, I want to begin with that conceptual definition. And I think when we're talking about God, building off of the idea we were just mentioning, there's a beautiful analogy that I heard from the movie Soul from Pixar, highly recommends, 10 out of 10, really fantastic, very deep. I think it will give a lot of kids a lot of problems, so maybe not if you're under the age of, I don't know, 18? <laughs> maybe, I don't know. Uh, but it originally came from David Foster Wallace, this story. And it's a story of two fish who are in, a water, or in the uh, ocean, and one fish swims by and says, hey, you know, enjoy the water. Or, I mean, I'm messing up the story a little bit, but how it went in Soul was that there was one fish who went to the other fish, I guess we'll call them fish one and fish two. And fish one said, hey, do you know where the ocean is? And then the fish two responded, we are in the ocean. And then the fish one respond, said back, that's not true. This is water. I'm looking for the ocean. And to quote David Foster Wallace, the idea of this story where you can have fish who will say, what is water? I'm looking for the ocean and really not understand what is the essence of their whole existence, that they're literally living within water. He says, this is a hint that the most obvious, important realities are often the hardest ones to see and talk about. Things that we take for granted that are built into our experience of life and experience of the world are often the things that we completely overlook. And that is very much, I think, how we need to begin when we speak about God. As we said before, God is not separate from us. God is not a guy in the sky. He's not a spirit. He's not a person. None of these things. In, in an analogy or in that story, God is the ocean and we are like the fish in that ocean. If God were an ocean, we would be drops in the ocean. He is the source of all existence, the context within which we exist. He is the home of our reality. If he were a forest, we would be the trees. If he were the sun, we would be rays of his endless light. We are not him. He is much more than us but we are fundamentally expressions of him with our, own, with our own unique identities. We are all rays of his endless light. He encompasses us. He is both beyond our world, beyond anything we can ever imagine, beyond space and time, beyond 
anything that we would classify within existence within our world. But at the same time, he is also the very existence of our world. He is that context. He is that ocean. At this time, of course, we're speaking conceptually, and we're going to hopefully understand this in a much deeper way in a bit when we talk about an experience that we can understand this within. But for now, it's very important to know is that these two ideas, that God is both beyond our world, that is in, I guess, philosophy, what we would call he is transcendent. He is above, beyond, unbound by our world. But he's also within the very existence of our world. He is imminent in this world. And we actually encapsulate this in a very famous phrase, or not phrase, but a very famous declaration in Judaism. In Hebrew, that's Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Translated, that means here, the Jewish people, the Israelites, Hashem is our God, Hashem is one. Usually we think that means, oh, Hashem is one. Monotheism, he is one God, he is not two gods. But in reality, this echad, this one that we talk about God, is speaking about this idea we were just mentioning. That he is one, not meaning one and two, that there is one God, not two gods, meaning he is one. He is all there is. He has an all-encompassing oneness. That everything is just one. Everything is just God. That if he were the ocean, everything in existence, everything we could ever think of would be drops in that ocean. That there is only God. And in Nefesh HaChayim, in you know, the soul of life by Rav Chaim of Velazhin, in, the gate th- in gate 3, chapter 9, he says that everything is integrated and unified within Hashem, within God. And that is all included within the all-encompassing oneness. That everything is fundamentally rooted in God. Everything, the trees, the animals, the people, the air, the science, every single thing in the world exists within God. You can, ima- you can imagine in a way, it's like a fetus or a baby in the womb of his mother or her mother, that they are fundamentally within the mother. All there is for that baby is the mother. There is nothing beyond the mother. And according to the Kabbalah and what I've learned from Rabbi David Aaron, Rav Cook, and different types of Kabbalists, is that he is, God is, the unbound, all-encompassing one, the foundation of our world, the context, the source, the soul of our world. And our world is fundamentally made up of him. Everything is an expression of God. This table, our personalities, our people, he is the essence of reality. We are all drops in his endless ocean, trees of his infinite forest, and rays of his endless light. The deepest essence of life and everything within it is all connected back to God. Everything has a divine spark, something that animates every single thing in existence. That is the expression of God. This tree, this chair, this table, this water, this food, all of that is an expression of God. We are trying to reveal the godliness through through that. We are trying to reveal the underlying mechanisms of consciousness, of the divine consciousness that is animating existence. We are all tied back to God, all connected, and that's the unadulterated truth. So that is very much the conceptual idea that, simply put in one sentence, God is one. Everything within exists, everything exists within God and exists as a part of God and is connected to God. Everything is an expression of God. And we can keep going back to those analogies. But now, moving from that conceptual definition, which is important, but personally, I think 
the relationships that we have, the experiences that will help us understand these definitions with God are much more important. And there were two words I mentioned earlier that I want to speak about personally, some stories for myself that I have and how I relate to Hashem or God through this. A transcendent relationship and an imminent relationship. So as we said before, God is one. He is paradoxically, in a way that seems very contradictory, he is beyond, unbound, and above this world, what we call transcendent, but he is also within, a part of, and the context of this world, what we call imminent. And each of these, each of these elements has a different way we can relate to God. And I guess I have a different way of referring to God when I'm relating to him in a different way. When I'm relating to God as transcendent, as beyond anything that I can ever tangibly reach or touch, I think of God as the soul of all souls. And one story I go back to, and I think this will help us all point to different times in our lives where we, where we may have felt this, and where we can now say, oh wow, that's an experience of God. That is what Judaism says is an experience of God. And this first story takes place for a transcendent relationship with Hashem, when I was in Israel in my senior year on a program, <clears throat> and I was visiting the I was visiting Yeshiva Raita. This was the year before I actually took my gap year, and Friday night, right before Shabbat, we had Kabbalah Shabbat, where we were welcoming in the Shabbos with song and with dance. And I went up onto the Araita roof, looking over the Western Wall, looking over the Kotel. Right, same thing, different name. Um, and it was just the most beautiful experience I ever remember. I'm closing my eyes as I recall it right now. Standing on a limestone roof, looking over the horizon that's painted with pink and purple streaks of light as the clouds are just glowing from the sun that's peeking over the horizon. And you're around people who are just exuding light and love and happiness and so much camaraderie and connection, singing and dancing and I felt within myself an eruption where my whole heart was just being filled to the brim, where I felt so complete, I felt content, I felt like all I wanted to do was just float beyond anything in the world, that I was actually just having a spiritual high that was so beyond words, and it was the most beautiful thing in the world. And that is how I relate to Hashem as the soul of all souls. An experience that I have with Hashem or through Hashem, whereby I feel as if I'm actually reaching above this world. And that's one relationship and one story. The other one is the imminent relationship. When I feel Hashem in the day-to-day -day in this world, and that is Hashem, the title that I think is a little unconventional, but I actually heard from Rabbi Moshe Weinberger that it's pretty appropriate, that I call Hashem my best friend. I tell people I think I'm a little crazy that my best friends go, Hashem, Rav Cook, and then a lot of other people. And this story I felt through, again, actually the year afterward when I was in my gap year, Yeshiva Araita, and we went on a three-day trip in the desert. And on one of the days in the trip, we were focusing on our relationship with God. And my rabbi, Rav Judah Dardik, took us to the desert. We were in the Negev Desert. And he said, find a plot of sand where you will not be near anyone who can hear you. And we were going to do a meditation, a meditation called Hitbodadut, which is a speaking meditation whereby you speak to God from your deepest essence. And you just speak as if you're talking to a friend. You speak very naturally as if you're on the phone with God and talk what's on your mind, what your hopes are, what your dreams are, what you're struggling with, 
uh, your aspirations, your problems in any realm, personal, philosophical, intellectual, and you just talk. And the realizations that are supposed to come from that and the connection that you have in this dialogue with God, which is very weird because you don't literally hear a voice of God, but you experience a dialogue with God. It was a very crazy experience. And it was there that I just really felt such a strong presence of God in my life where I was specifically talking about a certain time in my life that I had a lot of questions about that I had always had one outlook on. And as I was talking, there was just this epiphany that I actually had a brand new perspective, a brand new outlook that now seems so obvious, but at the time I was bewildered that I had even thought of this because it was about six years at that point that I was working with a certain notion about this time in my life. And this happened when I was in dialogue with God, when I was doing this meditation where the Baal Shem Tov says, you speak to God as your friend. You speak to him nonchalantly, no, no formalities, in your natural tongue, in a way that's comfortable, in a way that feels exciting. And I did it for about an hour, and it was the most bewildering experience of my entire life. Absolutely fantastic. And that's how I relate to God a lot on the day-to-day. Very much as my best friend, speaking to him whenever I want, aside from my actual formal prayer, uh, this is my more informal prayer meditation. And I think that we can all touch back on these ideas in our own personal lives uh, in ways that make sense to us. So the transcendent part, when you felt as if you were reaching above reality, that you felt you could just touch something beyond the physical, there was something so much more, and you felt connected to a greater shared self of a community, of the world, of other people, of nature, but also an imminent relationship with God, whereby you felt as if there was something there with you in a moment that was just hugging you, embracing you, giving you so much love and support and excitement. And you feel as if there's, I don't know, I can't really put a word to it, but I think that's an experience that I'm trying to encapsulate. But this personal and practical discussion about God is frankly what I find to be most important in my own life because that is how I begin to channel my soul life. By relating to God as the soul of all souls, and as my best friend, I think then I'm able to really feel that I am living as a soul. And that is how I bypass the disillusionment and I have focus in my life. And I try and have a trajectory and discipline and a larger goals of what I want to accomplish in the world, what kind of light I want to shine through my actions. And that is, I think, how we can, in this short span, and of course you can talk about this topic, if you will, for endless amounts of time, That's how I think we discuss the question of who is God. But one idea that, you know, as usual, I think it's very important to not just keep these philosophical and spiritual concepts and ideas and discussions isolated to a certain part of our life, life, but to really see how we can blend it in with international relations, how we can see it in the larger world. So one idea I want to connect is the idea that God is one, that he is all there is, he is the context, he is the essence, and that he is the one self that forever connects and generates everything in existence. And so naturally, you'd imagine or question, where do we see this in the world? There's no way you can see this type of philosophy in international relations. That's actually not so correct. There's an idea that we say in the Torah, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 22, that it says, if then you faithfully keep all this instruction that I command you, loving Hashem your God, walking in all his ways and connecting with him. So one of the commentaries, the Sifri, says that what are the ways, I think it's actually the Midrash, the tradition that's been passed down, that says what are the ways of God when we say walk in all of his ways? Well, just as God is compassionate, so too you should be compassionate. Just as God is loving, so too you should be loving. Just as he is forgiving, so too you should be forgiving. 
just as he is holy, so too you should be holy. And I think that we can apply this idea of emulating God with his oneness. Just as God is one, just as God unifies and connects and has everything become related to one another, so too we can have an international system or a world that tries to act and connect with one another to feel unified. Because in reality, we are all connected. But how do we bring this into a way that we can practically experience it and see it on the day to day? This is a concept called globalization. And a lot of these ideas I'm using based off of Henry Now, which is a phenomenal textbook uh, discussing about international relations. And globalization, simply put, is when we have an international system or different things within the world that become more globalized. They become more unified, more connected. For instance, organizations, countries, economies, tourism, technology, internet, all these different things. All of these are becoming more interconnected and unified, and they bridge the gap between India and China, between the United States and Russia, between Israel and Saudi Arabia. And every country in the world is playing some role and has some hold in this larger power station, this power grid that is connecting all of us. That is globalization. We see it with tourism, with air travel, with trade between countries, cooperation with counterterrorism and other initiatives, shared technologies, connected economies. And what it does <clears throat> is that globalization is different ways. <clears throat> sorry. Globalization is different ways that the world shows that it's actually all connected, that what happens in one country can affect what happens in another country. And that countries can have a relationship that is actually tying them together. That the growth and the advancement of one country can affect another country in a negative or positive way. But there are risks to this, and we're going to get to that a little bit more in a moment. But what exactly makes this a God-emulating system? Why does globalization have anything to do with God? Well, the Chaban, who was a Kabbalist who passed away in 2019... He says in his work, Talei Chaim, that all of existence is God, as we were talking about before. And again, we can think about these ideas that if God were the ocean, we would all be drops of, drops of water in that ocean. If he were the sun, we would be rays of his endless light. That we are all fundamentally connected to him and to one another. And this is very much the idea of Kabbalah, that everything in the world is a facet of God. Everything is connected. And it's not just a Kabbalistic idea. There was a really, uh, I'm forgetting the video right now, but there was this institute in the UK where this quantum physicist was talking about energy and how energy is the building block of the universe. And he said, and I kid you not, this is not a religious person. This is not someone who's in spirituality. He said, I am energy. And you, you, sir, in the audience, you are also energy. We may look like we're not connected and we're about 30 feet apart, but in reality, we are all connected because we are all connected through energy. We are all just bundles of energy. This is literally what a scientist said, what a quantum physicist said. Uh, the video was fantastic. I'm sure you could find it online. It had like a million something views. It was like a 45-minute clip about uh, quantum physics. But that's the idea. So this system of globalization helps us understand that because when the United States and India are engaged in trade, well, then what does that represent? Well, that represents that what happens in the United States economy and what happens with the United States trade is going to affect India, for better or for worse. And it shows that the United States is not isolated in itself. It shows that China is not isolated. It shows that Hungary is not isolated. That everything in the world, every country, is part of this much larger system, this much larger community between countries. With that being said, 
there are also a lot of dangers with globalization, and that's the dangers of life. With that, the problems of one country, say Spain, for instance, or are no longer just that country's problems. Let's even take China. China had the epidemic with, with the COVID-19 pandemic in their country first. But because of globalization, because the world is so interconnected, it wasn't isolated and kept within China. It spread to the entire world, and there's a lot of destruction. We can see it with the Great Depression, with inequality. We can see it with where some countries take over other countries with their cultures, where they try and become dominant and make everyone uniform just like them. There are a lot of risks because that's the reality of life. The reality of life is that we're all connected to God, that we're all connected to one another, and that my actions really do affect you. Even if I don't see it, they do affect you. They do affect the larger world. And that's also represented in globalization. But... There is a lot of hope for the future because globalization is a beautiful way that we can show that every single country must understand that they can't just act greedy. They can't just act for their own self-interest. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs wrote a beautiful essay about globalization uh, through, a, through a Jewish perspective in 2002 where he was talking about we need a global covenant, a covenant that is perpetually binding, an agreement between all countries that we are working towards our shared vision for the future of humanity. And when we think about this, imagine if all countries got on board or if all people or if all things in the world tried to understand and tried to act in ways that express the oneness, that express the idea that what I do affects you, what you do affects me. We should all be trying to better express the fundamental godliness, the God that is underlying our reality. How would we want countries to act and contribute to the greater world with environmentalism, with poverty, with disease, with unemployment, with culture? Imagine a world in which globalization could inspire countries to collaborate and to see that they must think about the greater good in addition to their own independent good or in individual good rather. Bringing it back to our own lives, we see that we are all connected to and through God that every single person in the world is fundamentally linked as a soul to God. Every tree in the world, every blade of grass, every flower, every animal is also linked to God. Every food, every chair, every object is all linked back to God. The question is, are we going to bring God into our lives and to allow ourselves to believe and thereby perceive and receive a world of godliness? That's our choice. And that's something that we can build on. But once we allow ourselves to do so, and once we allow ourselves to experience that, we will allow ourselves to begin living our soul lives in ways that feel as natural as they truly are. Thank you so much for tuning in and looking forward to continue trying to live our soul life together.